Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. 
We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of January, St. Evans is supporting Remake, a community of fashion lovers, women's rights advocates, and environmentalists on a mission to change the industry's harmful practices on people and our planet. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at wear underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. 
slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Welcome to Clothes Horse, the podcast that has spent far too much time fantasizing about quitting far too many jobs. In fact, I remember one of my fantasies where I had this really horrible, abusive CEO who would harass me all weekend, all night, you name it, was was a monster. I fantasized about quitting and then throwing a pie in her face, which I realize sounds like a really clowny, circusy fantasy about leaving one's job. But think about it. Getting a pie in your face is so old school and classic because you know what? It's humiliating. And I just thought of all the times she humiliated me in front of people. I would have loved to see her with some pie on her face. Anyway, that was a long digression. Please tell me your job quitting fantasies. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 115. Our super special guest today is the one and only Panty Witch, a.k.a. Rita. And yes, she is the owner, operator, content creator, and sewist behind Panty Witch. Rita makes upcycled panties out of reclaimed and vintage materials. To be honest, I'm hesitant to call them panties because they're actually wearable pieces of art. Today, in the first half of our conversation, Rita will tell us the Panty Witch origin story, and she'll also share the tale of the Panty Fairy. I'll just go ahead and say, this is the most times I've said the word panty in such a short time span, and I'll also say that Panty Fairy isn't a magical story, but it is a story with a lot of lessons at the end. So get ready for all of that. But before we board the Panty Express, <laughs> that sounds kind of like a softcore porn. Anyway, before we do that, it's time to share the first installment of audio essays inspired by the Great Resignation. What is the Great Resignation, you ask? Well, first off, this clearly means that you're not spending as much time on Reddit as I am. But... Since the spring of 2021, 33 million Americans have quit their jobs. And this phenomenon, which has launched 1,000, probably 10,000 think pieces, has been dubbed the Great Resignation. Yes, people are quitting their jobs at a remarkable pace. And it's ironic, after roughly 10 million Americans lost their jobs, 
at the beginning of the pandemic. It's it's wild to see that we're in this inverse situation right now. Furthermore, the International Labor Organization, or ILO, estimates that the pandemic and the subsequent lockdown caused 114 million people globally to lose their jobs in 2020. The ILO also estimates that the working hours lost that year were equivalent to 255 million full-time jobs, leading to 3.7 trillion, with a TR, dollars lost in labor income in that year. That's a global figure, but still, we're talking about many, many people losing their jobs, their financial security, no matter how tenuous that security might have been, and generally just so many people being thrust into some really scary situations. Yet here we are, so many people, 33 million people, quitting their jobs since last spring. Why is that happening? Because we know that we're not all moving off the grid, rejecting consumerism, living off the land, getting into animal husbandry and you know learning to grow crops. We're, we're, not, we're not doing that. Most of us and most of these people who have left their jobs still need money. So why is everyone quitting their jobs? And how? Well, like a lot of things we discuss around here, there's no simple answer. In fact, there are just a lot of answers. You know, one is that a lot of people particularly women, were forced to quit their jobs to care for children and family members. Some double-income families found that, you know what, that second income was just paying to cover daycare. On top of that, school closures, the subsequent remote schooling, reduced access to childcare as many daycare centers closed permanently, and then, of course, childcare becoming more expensive. This led to a lot of women dropping out of the workforce. On top of that, Women accounted for roughly 54% of job losses, meaning layoffs, during the pandemic, and a lot of them just decided they didn't want to go back. I'm just going to pause here for a moment and say that while I believe that gender is not binary, it's not merely male and female, unfortunately, this is the way most data at this point is presented to us, the public, and the government, and everyone who's interested in hearing this data. So I can't say how many people who are trans or non-binary are leaving their jobs or lost their jobs. And let's be real, that's a major miss in the way our government, all of the data people involved with it, look at us and the impacts of major events like the pandemic on us. It renders a huge swath of people just invisible. And it says that their experiences, the impacts of events like this on them, don't matter. And that's fundamentally untrue. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I just had to say that. I would love to see some change there. If any of you actually work in an area that is doing this sort of research and data analysis around people and work and all of the other things that we live through as humans, could you just like drop in the good word that we need to stop looking at people as just male or female? Thanks. This whole thing has been called the she session. Not a particular fan of that name, but you know, it's she and recession. Someone felt very clever. But what is concerning and is real is that many experts agree that this mass exodus of women from the job force 
could impact the careers of an entire generation of women. And I'll just add here a little nugget that I read earlier this week about women who have left the workforce and sort of tried to stay out of it permanently or or at least are very hesitant to go back to it, is a lot of women, particularly women who worked in office settings, but just women workers in general, found that they were often performing a lot of paid housekeeping at work, not literally cleaning, although maybe in some cases they were somehow always the ones who cleaned up the kitchen. It, I've seen this happen. But really more this general sort of emotional social housekeeping where they were responsible for doing most of the emotional labor of making people feel good about work, about solving personnel problems, of training new employees, and just generally being the people there who made work a more comfortable or at least not terrible place to be. A lot of women were sort of like, I spend so much time doing this that I don't have the energy to do the same sorts of emotional labor at home. And I think that's really valid. It's something I've definitely been thinking about a lot this week. Okay, here's another group of people who are just like, I don't, I don't want a dumb job anymore. And that's older workers. A lot of them decided to retire early because it was safer than going into the office every day. And we know that a lot of employers have shown their true colors, meaning their fundamental disregard for the health and well-being of their employees during this pandemic. Office workers are leaving jobs because they want to make more money, as they should, and they're looking for more flexibility and work-life balance via remote work and four-day work weeks. And man, the amount of articles I read about you know, companies still being resistant to remote work and then hemorrhaging workers and still not changing their ways. I mean, they make me laugh. This is why you have a hard time hiring someone, right? Let people work from home if that's what they want to do. Most importantly, of all of these people I'm talking about and their different reasons for leaving their jobs, we have to talk about the lower paid workers in retail and service roles. They've said enough is enough. Stop underpaying and underemploying us while we're forced to work on the front lines in the riskiest jobs, dealing with incredibly difficult customers who seem to get more difficult with each passing month. Some of these workers are going back to school. Some are starting their own businesses. Others are shifting into less customer-facing roles within offices and warehouses. They're just trying to be safer and less abused. The pandemic and its subsequent unemployment, underemployment, then alleged worker shortage, all of this has really exposed a lot of dysfunctional, frankly, fucked up things that have been happening for years. And we're finally, we're finally naming it. Like, arduous interview processes with three, four, five interviews, and maybe a couple of projects thrown in along the way. That's, ugh, I have so many stories about that. I've actually seen Dustin go through so much of this in the past year or two. And then when you're like, oh, I actually found another job. It's like, but wait, I mean, I know this process has been going on for three months, but you took another job. That's happened to me. Or here's another one. Some of you might have experienced this. Being completely ghosted by recruiters, it's so disrespectful to give these people your time, your resume, phone calls, all this stuff, and then never hear from them again. That one's a classic. How about this? 
automated screening processes that automatically filter out applicants who request wages that align with their experience, meaning they want more money than the company wants to pay, or people who haven't worked in a while or have any kind of gap in their employment history, which is a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world since the dawn of the pandemic. Or the system might screen out people who live in specific areas or just aren't using the right kind of jargon. I've been reading a lot about that lately. You know, these applicant screening systems, I mean, LinkedIn offers it, Indeed, plenty of other services that employers are using, you know, ostensibly cut down on the time that HR needs to spend sifting through applications, which probably also saves the company a lot of money in terms of headcount. But it also means that they miss... They miss so many great applicants. Here we are, we're talking about all the flaws in the hiring process, but let's talk about the flaws in the actual working of the jobs that the pandemic has really just cast a spotlight on, right? Like we've got service industry workers who are expected to work 10, 20 days straight with no time off, or retail workers who were kept just under 35 hours every week so the company could deny them benefits. Or how about on-call shifts? We talked about those in the last episode. Low wages, poor benefits, toxic work cultures, working all day, every day, bad bosses, you name it. The era of hustle culture and taking whatever you get thrown at you, allowing yourself to be treated however because you feel like you don't have a choice. I like to believe that this is dead or at least very close to it. The idea that we would work for the same company 10, 20, 30 years like our grandparents did, that's that's been an antiquated idea for a while. But now we know that even spending two years working for a toxic, abusive company doesn't have to happen. Can I tell you how many older people in my life gave me the same advice in my career that you have to stay somewhere for at least two years for it to count on your resume? And if you don't, future employers will judge you. So you're supposed to put up with two years of misery just for what? I I feel like that's a myth, just like the permanent record, right? We know now that we don't need to do that. I had an interview in fall 2020 where the interviewer, who I'm gonna be honest, she did not wanna hire me. It was kind of the most awkward interview I've ever had and I felt like maybe her boss saw my resume and was forcing her to interview me, but she didn't want me there. She (laughs) said, you seems like you're a little bit of a job hopper. You've worked for four companies in 15 years. And I was like, excuse me? That's some old-timey thinking, right? That era is done because for too long, employers have held the power while so many of us are desperate for a job. And I think we're finally realizing that they need us more than we need them. We always thought we needed them to get that paycheck. But the reality is they needed us to have a company, Last month, I challenged all of you to create audio essays around your own experiences with work, quitting jobs, following your dreams, changing up how you make a living. And today, we're going to get the audio essays rolling with a great one from someone you know. She's a friend of the pod. She's a clothes horse all-star. It's Meredith. She's going to talk to us about some jobs she's left, including her most recent one, and she's going to share how she made the transition into working for herself. I think it's 
going to be really inspiring for you. So let's give it a listen. Hello, everyone out there in radio podcast land, uh, especially Amanda. I'm happy to hear that you made it to Austin just fine. Uh, I know moving is a huge pain in the ass, and whether you're moving down the hallway or like you across state lines. So I'm happy that you made it there. That's the hardest part and the best is yet to come. I'm so excited and happy for you and your new adventure. Um, For everyone else out there, you guys should know me if you've listened a little bit. Um, I think the last time I was on was the grand celebratory 100th episode of Close Horse that I was so honored to be a part of. So thank you so much again, Amanda, for letting me record that wonderful session with you. I loved it so much, and Halloween still is the best holiday. Uh, But I was excited to hear about the new prompt for the audio essay. Um, I started hearing word about this great resignation pretty early on in the pandemic. It was all over the news, and I just remember listening to those stories and being jealous. At the time, I was not happy at all at my job, and I hadn't been at that job for very long either. I had left my corporate gig a few years back and struck out on a new journey. I definitely took a risk. I took a pay cut. But for some reason, I felt like it was the right thing to do at that time. And looking back now, I certainly don't have any regrets doing it, but it was probably one of the most professionally challenging situations that I've ever been in for a myriad of reasons. And I won't get into all of them, but it definitely panned out to be something a little bit different than what I was expecting. However, I'm kind of committed to a fault and driven to a fault. I don't want that feeling like I've, I don't know, like I haven't done it right or I haven't succeeded. Uh, That's just something that's been instilled in me from a very young age. And it, it drives me to have a wonderful work ethic on one hand. But on another hand, it sometimes lends to my own personal unhappiness. It's definitely something that I'm very aware of, but this job wasn't one that I wasn't going to just walk away from. I felt like because I had left this pretty decent job, you know, it it got a little cushy and monotonous at the end. And that's kind of why I wanted to leave. I knew that there was more out there for me to learn and I wasn't getting it anymore, but At the same time, it paid really well. I liked the people that I worked with. You know, it 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 had great benefits. Um, You know, why on earth would I want to leave something like that? And even though that company we had gone through so many layoffs, it still just felt like it was home. But I struck off and did what I had to do and took on this new position. But. you know, like I said, it didn't really pan out the way that I had liked it. On top of that, I had recently hired a friend of mine to join the team, and I had hit pretty much a new low when she started, and I felt terrible because I had never been more stressed out, frustrated 
upset, confused, uh, stressed. Did I mention that? Uh, then I had the entire time I had been at that company and I was committed to making it a better place for my team. By that point, I was managing a small team and I really made it my focus to build up morale as much as possible. If I could do one thing, I knew I could do that. And I didn't want to leave them. But there was an odd turn of events. Um, the company was small. It was a startup for sure. And the majority stake owners were just this very large parent company that we saw here and there, we heard of here and there, but didn't interact with a whole lot. I knew that the uh, quote unquote suits, if you will, were coming into town um, and by into town coming down from uh, Malibu pretty much to have a meeting with the um, the CEO and the COO of the company. There was some scrambling going on. I knew that the COO was really stressed out, so I figured it was a pretty big meeting, but I didn't ask any questions. The next day, he seemed a little off, you know, a little extra stressed, but that wasn't out of the ordinary. At this point, I shared an office with the COO and just kept going along my way. I was really, really knees deep in a project that had just gone completely awry and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And I was almost at the end of sorting everything out when all of this went down. So I was actually feeling a little bit relieved because I felt like I had finally, you know, gotten to the top of this unsurmountable mountain. One day, a few days later after that meeting, I was pulled into our conference room at around noon and the CEO and COO were there and I just figured, okay, they need to talk to me about something. I knew I hadn't been doing the best of jobs, but, you know, given the circumstances, I always stood firmly behind my work ethic and my drive and, hey, you know, we figured it out and fixed it. But the conversation wasn't going to be about that. It was about the fact that our budget had been slashed. And I guess we had not been doing as well as the two of them thought we had. I'm still a bit confused how they were so side swiped by the whole thing. You know, it seems like you would have at least had some kind of inkling that financially things weren't going so well. But I was essentially put in a really awful position. And I've thought a lot about it. I mean, I'm glad that I was involved in this decision, at least. Um, and I understand why they did it. But it's also kind of a unique situation that I don't think I've heard anyone ever had to be a part of. Um, I was given the budget for my department, uh, which at the time had four people, I think, four or five people. And basically, we needed to keep only two. And the budget that was left for those two people was very small. Now, I had mentioned earlier that I had taken a pay cut to take this job, and I already was making significantly less, despite several raises, which I was very grateful for. Um, I was making less than I had been at my last job still, so I wasn't in a position where I could really take another pay cut at all. Uh, you know, we 
bought a house during the pandemic and now I was permanently locked into these payments and I couldn't really just move and leave. So also I, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, I don't even like this job. Why would I take a pay cut to stay at a job I don't like? So given that I decided to surrender my position, essentially, I guess I resigned I forcefully resigned, so I don't know how much this counts as part of the great resignation, but I'd like to think that given all the circumstances, hearing about people in the news and on close horse, starting their own business, doing their own thing, making themselves happy for once, and especially those of us that have been dragged through the retail and fashion world, it is an insane business. And one why I'm not sure there aren't more books and movies that are actually about working in fashion, not working for a fashion magazine. Um, no offense, Devil Wears Prada, great movie, but there's so much drama that happens. And I was just kind of over it. I was also over that whole song and dance you had to do when you interviewed at a place. Like, I don't have to live and breathe your company to be an amazing employee and to be good at what I do. But I'd often be in those positions where they would ask you what you knew about the company and why you liked it. And sometimes you're just like, hey, man, it sounds like a good job. But unless you can drink the Kool-Aid, you get written off. And I just wasn't ready to do that again. But here I was. I got one week pay. I still had a week work two weeks after I, quote unquote, resigned, which were arduous. At best, it was very difficult to do that. Um, very, very hard. And I got one week of pay. And then I decided to take one week off for myself. I said, you know, I, I need a break. I've been through so much. I need a break. So I took a week off. And um, in that time, I found a part-time freelance job that was two days a week. The pay wasn't exceptional, but it wasn't terrible. And I said, hey, it'll be something that's reoccurring and stable two days a week. I can do that. Sounds pretty easy. So I took that. And I also started kind of reaching out to old clients that I'd worked with at this last job, as well as old coworkers. You know, everyone needs help in the industry. No one ever has enough people on staff. So I just started reaching out to people that I knew and I got passed around. I talked to a bunch of people that I hadn't spoken with in a while. It was kind of good to refresh my network, if you will. Um, and that's when I just decided to throw the cards down and go for it and start consulting full time and freelancing. It was going to give me the opportunity to sometimes go in the office and sometimes work from home to work with cool companies and cool brands that were doing things that I identified with, I supported, I enjoyed. Um, at the last job, I had to work with anyone and everyone and a lot of assholes. And I just made it my personal policy that I didn't want to work with assholes anymore because I didn't have to. So that was a great realization. Um, it took some time to figure out pricing I definitely lowballed myself on a few of my first projects because I just didn't understand what a going rate was. Um, tip though, if anyone has gone through agencies, agencies charge an enormous fee on top of your hourly rate. So that kind of gave me focus and um, 
you know, kind of clarity on what I could charge. If I was making $44 an hour through the agency, the agency was actually charging the company much more. So knowing that I could be like, okay, I know this sounds like a lot per hour, but Hey, it's, you're not paying an agency fee. Like this is the fee you're paying me. Um, and I just continued to reach out to people. If there were job listings that seemed interesting um, or I knew people that were flexible, I'd reach out to them and I began to build up a client roster. So now I have a pretty full client roster. I kind of oscillate between five different projects at any given time. And I've even been courted for things that I've had to turn down already because I am too busy, which I'm just so blown away by and so incredibly thankful for. There's definitely a learning curve. I would definitely, if you're going to start your own business or start doing work, um, you know, on your own freelancing, please look into paying taxes, <laughs> how that whole thing works. Um, I set up an LLC and that will definitely help with taxes down the road. So there's a lot of things that you need to do to get your stuff in order. Um, but it's not too daunting. You just have to take the time and do it. Uh, my advice for people who are thinking about this, who are maybe in my position and we're like, oh my God, it would be amazing if I could be a part of this great resignation. Sometimes it's okay to wait for a catalyst, whether that's the pandemic, you have to move across the country, or, you know, it's something like my crazy situation where you're basically told, hey, like, you probably have to quit your job. Um, but what's important is that you're just open to it and open to new experiences. Um, prepare as much as you can plan for how long you're going to try it out. You know, it's okay if you want to try something new and it doesn't work out, just kind of give yourself parameters of how long you're going to wait for you to make X amount of money or how you're going to gauge success. You know, it, it doesn't have to be financial, um, whatever you want to define that as make sure you know what that is so that that can keep you motivated and keep you checked in. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out there are other things that you can do. So it won't be the end of the world ever. So just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, I think that's it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. And I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Wasn't that a great audio essay? Meredith, we have to do another episode about something fun as soon as possible. I'm sure there are many more mall brands we could break down. That's always so fun. So get in touch. I know you're listening to this. <laughs> One of my favorite things from Meredith's essay was the reality that we don't see a lot of movies about actually working in fashion, probably because it would be way too depressing and it would stop all of us from wanting to buy so many clothes. Like I feel like the entire industry as a whole would get together to squash any film about how it actually works. Like it would feel like slander to them or libel. There'd be all sorts of lawsuits, right? Because the reality is we would see that the industry actually isn't glamorous. You know, rather than runway shows and Vogue covers, we'd see sad $15 salads being eaten while hunched over a desk updating spreadsheets. We would see grown women making one another cry during a meeting about tank tops. Yes, I witnessed this. There would be buyers and designers having stress-induced diarrhea before heading off to yet another Monday meeting where everyone gets yelled at and humiliated by the CEO. There would be late nights at the office 
where you realize that you didn't see the sun one time that day, or color printers, oh, this is one that really, every job I've had, color printers covered with mountains, and I mean mountains, of abandoned printed pages. How does this happen? I don't know. There would be employees feeling as if their job has overtaken their entire life to the point where they have no ownership or control over any of their days. They belong to someone else. And so they must find some level of control, some sense of self-ownership by starving themselves or getting too deep into astrology or drinking way too much on the weekends. And that's just the office workers. I'll also add that, you know, I've had a lot of really rough jobs. I would say more jobs than not in the fashion industry are horrible. Uh, Nasty Gal, which I've talked about in the past, and also I've talked about at length with Kim on the department because she worked there as well. Nasty Gal was so next level, toxic, ridiculous, chaos. It was just unlike any other place I've worked. And my friend Sherry and I, One of the ways we would deal with our stress is to just imagine a television show that was inspired by Nasty Gal that we would like write and we would figure out who would play whom and what the characters' names would be. And uh, sometimes I still kind of want to see that show come to life (laughs) because I think about some of the scenarios that really happened and they're hilarious in retrospect. Maybe not so much while you're there. Well, no, pretty hilarious there too. Anyway, that's just the corporate side of it, right? The buyers, designers, the planners, all the other people working there. Think about garment workers, retail workers, warehouse staff. Could somebody please make movies about them? Because I would love to see that too. But then again, the average moviegoer probably just wants to see the razzle-dazzle of photo shoots and genius designers because that allows us to maintain the illusion that fashion is fashion and not just fashion, right? The fashion industry, like every other industry and job out there, is rarely glamorous, mostly stressful and exploitive, and it benefits only a few people at the top. Pick an industry. They all work the same way. Everyone is just desperate to be there. We chug down the company Kool-Aid as if we've been wandering through the desert for days because it's required of us. We don't have a choice. Want a job? Have another glass of company culture. (sighs) It never tastes very good. I'm excited about the prospect of moving into a new era where we, the workers, build the culture that we want where companies are so desperate for us that they have no choice but to let us dictate what our job will be. And you know what? If you had said, told me about this great resignation and all this stuff in 2020, I would not have believed you. In fact, I fretted all the time that we were all going to find ourselves in even worse work situations in 2021 because the power shifted even more extremely to the side of the employers with so many of us losing our jobs or feeling as if our jobs were, you know, uncertain, right? Here we are. We we have something called the Great Resignation. 33 million people leaving their jobs since the spring. That's just here in the United States. And suddenly, we have the power 
because the employers need us. They always needed us. They just were afraid to let us know. Now we know. And if that's not a really great example of collective action being successful, I don't know what is. We can make changes in how work is for us in the same ways that we can change the criminal justice system, economic inequality, fast fashion. All of these things happen when we come out en masse to make that change happen. And, you know, here it's happening with work and I can't wait to see it go even further. We can get there if we support one another's decisions and we encourage those around us and we speak up for ourselves. We're all better than our jobs have ever allowed us to believe. Thanks again to Meredith for a great start to this round of audio essays. If you listen to hers, which was amazing, like Meredith, maybe you should just be going on a speaking tour telling people about how they could go work for themselves. If you felt inspired by that and you want to share your own experience, it's not too late. Just send your audio essay recorded on your phone or computer to me via email at amanda at Hey everyone, I'm so excited to announce that one of my favorite brands, New Works, is an official sponsor of Clothes Horse. I've been a fan of New Works for a long time because they have unique prints created by some of my favorite artists. If you're looking for an article of clothing that you can proudly outfit repeat for years and years and still receive compliments from strangers everywhere you go, Newworks is the brand for you. Seriously, one of my all-time favorite Newworks purchases is the Dahlia mock neck dress in the Ash and Chess print Better Days. Everywhere I go, someone is blown away. I may have recently received a free breakfast taco from a barista just for telling them where I got my dress. I've also found that while all of the Newworks prints are unique conversation starters, All of the pieces themselves are easy to mix and match into an almost infinite array of outfits. Dress them up, dress them down. The outfit repeating potential here is massive. The silhouettes are designed to make you feel good, happy, and just generally full of positive vibes. And Newworks offers sizes extra small through 5X with plans to continue to expand sizing. And oh yeah, they make adorable kids clothes too. Well, now that we've covered all of the aesthetic reasons I love New Works, let's get into the serious stuff. In a world where it's progress, not perfection, New Works is constantly striving to do better and better, always with an eye on progress when it comes to sustainability. All New Works products are made by a small team in limited batches in California. You won't see any ridiculous waste over here. In fact, the company is constantly working to reduce their waste. As part of this commitment, Newworks has been offering packs of scraps for all of you crafty types to turn into your own cool, unique projects. And they even sold a few zero waste pieces recently, which was really so cool and something you just don't see out there as much as you should, right? On top of that, Newworks now offers Full Circle, a resale platform for Newworks products, because the idea is that these clothes should remain in circulation and be worn 
just as much as possible for as long as possible. Newworks is a woman-owned, women-run business. There are no venture capitalists or big investors involved, just a small team of incredibly nice people. And they're working hard to do the best they can for the planet and its people. Everyone involved in creating Newworks products are paid a living wage. And Newworks tries to source all of their materials in the USA and work only with incredibly nice people. Their hope is that every Newworks purchase will be a shining gem in your closet that you will cherish forever or hand down to someone you love. Once again, I'm just so proud and so honored to have this amazing brand as a sponsor of my work here at Clothes Horse. Go see why I love them so much at newworks.com or find them on Instagram at newworks. And that's new N-O-O. I know I say this a lot, but I'm just gonna say it again. One of the best things about working on Clothes Horse And really what keeps me going when I'm tired or when people are being mean to me on Instagram, which happens a lot. (laughs) So weird. Like I'm an adult and I get upset about Instagram. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast about Instagram. I don't know. No one wants to listen to that. What keeps me going through all of this, through all the hard work and keeps me motivated is all of the rad friends I've made over the past year and a half. And Rita of Panty Witch is one of them. I feel like I've known her for years, but we've never met IRL. And I'm I'm so excited that she took the time to record with me. And I am sure you're excited to get to know her better, right? So let's let's jump right in. Rita, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, I'm Rita, and I am Panty Witch. I'm a sewist out of the Pacific Northwest, and I really like using thrifted and upcycled materials to create less waste. Wow, that was so concise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rita, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You know, we have been internet friends, I feel like, for 100 years now. Um, I'm glad we're finally doing this. Um, I, I have so many questions for you. So, I guess my first question is, did you think when you were a child that you would grow up and make panties? I have always been a really creative person. And one of my favorite games to play as a kid was making up fake companies. And that was really really fun. (laughs) I got into this whole phase of like saving every paper recycling piece for my house. And I'd make these envelopes and fill them with like things that I would use for potions, kind of like a witch's like apothecary Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so, you know, that was really fun. I dreamed about having like clothing lines, but just never thought, like always thought that this was just kind of like a play thing. Like, oh, that'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. But like, nope, adults are boring. So. <laughs> well, so you have a business now, which is Panty Witch. Mm-hmm. What's the in between? Like what finally led to you doing it? Um. It all feels really random, but also like it was really always meant to be now that I kind of my 2020, you know, crystal clear look back. Um, I graduated from high school, yay me, and then I started working at this clothing company in Seattle that my mom had previously worked at when she was when she had my older brother. 
she got a nursing bra from them and then ended up working there. The woman also had kids and like gave her free childcare while she worked there. She designed a lot of patterns for them. Um, so these were really good kind of, you know, family friends. And I remember going in there growing up and like using the sergers to make certain things. Um, not super often, but just every once in a while. And so when I turned 18, she hired me and it was a really cool experience. I've, you know, I knew how to sew and do stuff before, but this was really my gateway into like, I, I don't know, like just doing it like production sewing, um, which it went a little too far. Cause when you're sewing the same thing, like a hundred of them every day, it's, it gets exhausting, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. Yeah, I learned how to like do more things. Um, and when like early 2020, I decided I wanted to, well, actually, I'll go back a little bit. So when I was okay. working for that company, I was sewing and businesses kind of dipped, you know, like they had a high point and then kind of like sales weren't not doing horribly, but just not like there was no growth. Um, and this is, you know, like an ethical, organic, made to order underwear and clothing company. Um, and so my boss was always like kind of being like, oh, I need ideas. And so I was like, oh, we should like make an Instagram, like social media. Like let's reach out to a younger clientele. Let's like get some different colors because all your colors are the same colors from the 80s, genuinely. Um, and <laughs> so I was like, let's, you know, do some things. Like let's make period underwear. Like, you know, and so I set up an Instagram. I like bought a camera. I like me and my cousin would go and like do really fun photo shoots all just because I wanted to do it. And I just, you know, it just seemed fun. And it just wasn't, it wasn't received like how I thought it was going to be received, which is fair. She's very ambivalent to change. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that kind of like was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to put this energy in if it's not being received. It's a bummer. But like, she told me that there was no money to be made in Instagram, which Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess there's no money, Amanda. I don't know. I just paid my mortgage with my panty witch money, but like I guess <laughs> there's I'm I'm trying not to be salty. I really love this woman. I really love the opportunity, but you know, we all have our own pitfalls, me as well. So anyway, I mean, I had a boss, I'm just gonna say this oh, yeah. about t- ten years ago, who said no one's gonna buy clothes online. <laughs> Yeah, when so in the 90s, this gal who now runs this really big company called Egg Press in Portland, who worked with my mom. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, her name's Tess. I don't know. Anyway, she runs like you've probably seen her cards before. Really cool. uh, Yeah, totally. I've bought them as a buyer and I've bought them as a customer. Yeah. So like that, that woman used to like work there and when my mom worked there and do kind of designing stuff and she's like, you know, to the owner, she's like, you gotta have a website and the boss was like, the World Wide Web is never going to take off. Like, no. <laughs> now they do all their sales. And you can call them and it's great. And I call them when I order my bras and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. but it's just like ambivalent to change, you know? And yeah, yeah. that's a really hard thing. I'm sure you know in this industry. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I yeah. said, I had a boss who said, people will never buy clothing online. They want people to buy People will never buy clothing at the mall anymore, Amanda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or people who are, you know, another b- a boss was like, did you know that people buy clothing on their phone? And I was like, yeah, I just did it five minutes ago. When like, I used to sell on Instagram, people would be like, so where do you sell? Do you have a website? And I'm like, no, just like in on Instagram. They're like, does it like, a, I'm like, no, like you DM me, like, we, you know, like I used to do the whole mm-hmm, Venmo thing. Mm-hmm. 
which is a great system if, you know, but I outgrew it. But people were like, what? Like, you make money on, like, what? You know, it's like. Oh, yeah. I've yeah, definitely yeah. heard people say, like, no one's going to make money off of selling clothing on in- or selling anything on Instagram. And I'm like, uh, I would beg to differ. I know no. so many people now. Yeah. It's a digital I- magazine. Like, that's all. that's all it is. I like that. I think that is a great way to describe it, especially the way I see people interacting with content yes. on there. I mean, I'm like over all the video content. I want it to go back to being a magazine. Me too. It's like all I see and it's just not compelling to me. It's I not feel good like for I'm my old- brain. It's like the attention yeah. span has gotten in the songs that get stuck in my head. It's, <laughs> it's rough. I mean, it's rough. I definitely, I feel like I'm like an old man yelling at a cloud with that sentiment. So it makes me feel relieved that you feel the same Everyone's like, you're going to have to get a TikTok. I have a virtual assistant. She's like, make a TikTok. I'm like, over my dead body. Like, we will not be doing that. (laughs) I'm just like, I, yeah, I I, I get it. I have, I'm just going to say now I have a TikTok account. It's not even attached to Close Horse. And it's only... So that I can watch this account called Sylvanian Drama, which I highly recommend. It's about Sylvanian families. Oh, that sounds really fun. I watch a lot of TikTok comment or content on Instagram and that's, you know, but I'm just like, I don't need to open that Pandora's box. Like we're, we're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently if you watch it too long, a weird video comes on that tells you to take a break. Genius. And I find that frightening. I mean, it's genius, uh-huh. but I'm like, like, the fact that like people are like, oh, that one, I see that one all the time. I'm like, oh my God. It's like the what Netflix you, thing. Where it's like, are you, are you still here? And it's like, of course I'm still here. You know it too. <laughs> like, oh, Stop shaming me. <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah, no, so I think like going back to this idea of I don't know, sort of being like resistant to change or trying new things. I mean, I think I'm sure there are plenty of people who are going to hear that who are like, I, I've lived that too. Like it's really frustrating when you're working for someone else and they don't have that vision about change. But I think it can also motivate you to be like, Hey, I think I'm going to do something on my own now, right? Yeah, well, what really, she, she wanted to retire and her kids are probably in their thirties. Um, and she kind of like, we kind of flirted with like, maybe me and my mom wanted to buy the business because it was like kind Aww. of at like an affordable price. But then we really did some reflecting and um, thank goodness we didn't because this was like end of 2019, you know, before it all. Oh my yeah. God. And yeah. we were just kind of flirting with it, you know. Um, yeah, it was like a price that we could theoretically like take a loan out and, you know, do that whole thing. Um, but I just felt really ambivalent to have employees because that like felt like it was going to be an anxiety of just like, I have these people I'm responsible for. And I felt like we weren't getting, and I was paid like $16 an hour ending. Like this is like really high wages for garment workers, you know, and I'm the lowest Mm -hmm. paid person there out of like six people, but like Mm -hmm. it still doesn't feel like enough. And now that I think of like the toll I've put on my body, I mean, my body, I had already told it growing up, knitting all the time, sewing all the time, doing all this stuff, um, having horrible posture, but like sewing for eight to 12 hours a day, or even four hours a day, just consistently doing the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. and over again is like, it's like miles on the car, you know, 
Um, yeah. And yeah. So anyway, it's- I just didn't, I didn't want to be responsible for that. That's someone else from who worked there ended up like running it. And that's super cool and awesome. Cause I think it is a really cool business. And like, even though it's not perfect, like it's so much better than the majority of fashion companies or clothing companies out there. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really easy mm-hmm. to get nitpicky when I think you get up to like certain things, but then you have to like reflect and be like, well, it's better than buying things from Target or Shein or, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So you started your own business and I know that you're doing that full time now. Yeah. And I guess my first question for you about that is, you know, so many people, myself included, I have been stuck in this rut for years where like I really wanted to go start my own business and do my own thing. But I was just so fearful. I could never take the plunge. And I have a lot of other friends who are in the same boat. What would your advice for them be? Um, Go through a global pandemic and just fall into it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It kind of feels like that happened. So like rewind two years, I bought my first, I like drove down to Portland, bought my first serger because I finally found the exact one I had at work and was like, I want this exact thing. So I go and get that. And then with my other stimulus money, I end up buying this like brand new single stitch machine. Um, And so I have the, I'm living in Seattle, um, you know, doing my sewing job. And then this pandemic hits. I was also working at a secondhand thrift store. Shout out to Seattle Recreative. Um, And she God bless her. She got a small business loan and paid us for like two months, our normal hours. And we didn't even have to come into work. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. She's like super amazing. Um, and I had, a, and it was actually worked out because at my job, we started making masks at the bra panty job. And so I had more, mm-hmm. I actually had to be like, I physically can't work as much as you want me to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, I was living with my parents. We all, my family really likes kind of like communal living a little bit. Like I don't live with them anymore, but they live really close with my two brothers um, and their families, like all in one household for COVID tests. Yay. But, um, you know, so we were all really close and I couldn't afford to live in Seattle, nor did I really want to when they decided they wanted to move. My mom grew up here. So we like were relocating back to um, her her homeland kind of, not really. But uh, so uh, I decided to move and I was like, well, I can't really just go get another sewing job out there, nor do I want to. I have this industrial machinery. Um, I had just Mm -hmm. played around with making upcycled panties because I had all these scraps that my boss would throw away from work and I'd like hoard them at my sewing station. Um, And I started selling them to give money to um, BLM movements um, in June, I was just like, this is like, I've never donated this much money before. It's really cool that I can just turn this like trash into money that I can donate because I don't know what else I can do right now in this crazy time. Um, and so I had been doing that and I was like, wow, I made, you know, like $600 that I donated, but I was like, you know, will people still be interested if I'm not donating all the money? Um, and turns out that they are, that's really cool. Uh, and so when we'd moved, I was like, I'm just going to like, t- like just fall off this cliff pretty much like landslide off of it. And if in six months it's not working, I haven't made any money. I also am like a really frugal person and had savings. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I did it. And like, here we are. And I also like was able to buy a house in the middle of that. And so amazing. Yeah. Like, honestly, like super privileged. Um, It was all with my own money, but still like, I have privilege in how I was able to like, get that money and have a job and not have to like spend it or go into debt. And so, um, but yeah, so it's, I don't want to say the pandemic has been great because there's like, it's a really hard time to be alive. And there's been a lot of like loss and mourning of like a different life. But at the same time, like, I don't know what I would be doing if this hadn't have happened. And so there's kind of these two sides to this whole, um, to this whole thing. So, yeah. I mean, I, I totally can agree with that. Um, The past few years have been really, really hard for everyone but there is, I, I guess, I think I'm just always really compelled to, like, really examine my life and, and find the good things. I think that's a really important to help keep you going, yeah. you know? And for me, I mean, I just feel like I realized what was important to me. I realized what I wanted to do. I realized who I am. I feel like I kind of came into my yes. own, which is not to say that I also wasn't, like, having crippling anxiety yes. for at least two years now, uh, crying because my unemployment wasn't coming, wondering what was going to happen next. I mean, like I, doing home surgery on myself, like things yeah. are very bad. I mean, right? we, I think as a collective, like we were faced with death and that can like really show you some things about yourself. Um, totally. Yeah. Totally. I was talking to someone else the other day and I was saying like, you know, not really, I think our grandparents are too young to be depression era, but like more like our Mm -hmm. great grandparents, you know, they, they were fundamentally changed in their relationship with their belongings, how, what they did with their money, how they saved food, all of these things, you know, like saving aluminum foil, like that kind of thing. Growing up, I had this like deep fantasy and almost like mourning that I did not grow up during the Great Depression. I know that that sounds crazy, but I was just like, (laughs) that was my time. And like, I just loved the like thrift. I've always been like, I've been mending my clothes since I was in elementary school just because I loved it. And like people would make fun of me. I grew up in kind of an upper class area of Seattle. Mm. Um, I was middle class, but, you know, I didn't realize it growing up. But now I'm like, oh, I can see why they were like, why are you mending your socks and mending your jeans? But I was just like, why wouldn't I, you know? Um, Right, right. And I was like, I... I want, like, I want that. I want to make dresses out of flower sacks. I know it sounds crazy, <laughs> but I was so, and now I'm kind of like, it's funny because when this happened, I was like, oh, maybe this is like that thing that I felt like I needed to experience, not needed, but like was meant to experience in this life. This is probably sounding really crazy, but you know, like, yeah, it hasn't been a fun time, but it's been a very like, it like it feels like I've finally kind of like come into myself in a way that feels like so uh, authentic. Absolutely, that's how I feel too. I mean, I don't know if it's because because sometimes it takes a really hard, weird time to help us realize these things about ourselves, mm-hmm. or because we had plenty of time at home to do some reflection and try new things. I, yeah, I think it's a mix of both things. Um, I think when you're worried about like how long your life is going to be or what's going to happen, you know, it's, you really think about these things of like who and what is important to you and what you want to spend your time doing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think I think that is at the core of like the great resignation. So many people oh, yeah. leaving their jobs oh, because yeah. it's like, why? I mean, I think about it, man. I got laid off from my last job. You know, as you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. that job was terrible. And you're like, why didn't I walk out? I know. Every morning, Dustin would drive me to work, and I would, like, be crying about how oh I had to go to work. Yes. And yet I was like, I'm trapped here because if I yeah. don't do this job, we don't have money to live. And yeah. not that I think it was cool that they laid me off, and it certainly, like, messed up our Blessing life. Blessing in disguise. Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah. Not that I would go back to them and be like, thank you. I yeah, but you're, like, glad that, glad that didn't go on any longer because it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, and why would I waste my time on that? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, past few years, so much loss, so much yeah. – I mean, the damage to our mental health is, is, is it's unmeasurable. Our physical health, too. Like, stress is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the last time I wasn't just filled with anxiety about what was going to oh, happen no. next. And that's partially why I'm like, am I getting sick or am I just, like, have pushed it too far? And, like, this is just almost like an anxiety sickness because g- genuinely, as a kid, actually, my mom, the way I learned how to knit is when I went back to public school in second grade. I would always like, I'd feel sick at school. And so mm-hmm. I'd like go to the nurse and be like, I need to go home. Like, I'm sick. I don't feel good. And after sending me home a couple times, because I'm, pre- you know, I get, not that I get what I want, but I'm pretty persistent. <laughs> um, my mom would like call the nurse and she's like, you can't send her home. Like, just let her lay down for a little bit and send her back. And so this happens a couple times and the nurse would knit at in school. And so one time I asked her about it. And like next time I went, she had some knitting needles and yarn for me. Bless her. And I knit my way through my, you know, 12 years of public education. Like, and teachers would always be like, oh, Rita, like no knitting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to be knitting during class because <laughs> watch this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all the teachers were in the break room like, that Rita, what kid is knitting at school? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got all the other – like, I made a knitting club. It became a thing. Like, the boys knit, the girls knit. Everyone can knit. Um, And, yeah, it was really fun. But, yeah, there would be times – like, at the beginning of the year, I'd remember people would be like, oh, only knitting during, like, read story time. And I'm like, um, no. And I'm the kind of person that, like, I did really well in school um, and – which is funny to me now because I hate school, but uh, I would just get stuff done early and spend all this time waiting. And I just remember stuff better if I'm like doing, I got to be doing something, you know? Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. It's really hard. I actually hate the Zoom era of meetings because it, for oh like God. a thousand reasons, but one is that I feel like I must be staring at the screen at all times or the person's going to think I'm not engaged, but I really need yeah. to be doing something else. I want to be like camera off cooking my dinner, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, so you, you know, the pandemic happened, you have this opportunity to Mm -hmm. start your own business. Why panties? Um, well, I'd been, you know, making the company I worked for made a lot of different stuff, but mostly bras and underwear. Um, and, I just learned how to do it. I had, I had made my own underwear for myself out of like old t-shirts. Also, I kind of started making, my partner was getting rid of a lot of shirts and I'm the kind of person who's like, goodwill donation is the last resort. Like you find a use for that or find, (laughs) you know what I mean? I love this. I've always known. I'm like, it doesn't all, 
It's yeah. kind of been nice finding closed horse because I'm like, oh my God, the others, they're learning. Like, yes, welcome, <laughs> come. Like, um, and so he had all these, he used to work for the labor union. We won't talk about that, but yeah. So he had all these shirts that he was like, let's burn these. And I was like, no, you need new underwear. Let me just like whip you up some like boxer briefs. Um, and that was awesome and really fun. And so I just kind of had this idea of like, oh, upcycled underwear because it's just, you know, sometimes like some upcycled things, people are getting really good at it. But sometimes I think when you think of upcycled thing, it's like, oh, cool. Like, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Like, just not (laughs) like, I don't want to say not aesthetically pleasing. I want to be nice. Not my style. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm just very into like how things look and yeah, artistic. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to find a way to do it where it felt intentional mm-hmm. um, and didn't feel like, oh, look at she went to Goodwill and cut up a bunch of shirts. And yeah, that's, that's cool. Love it. I don't know. I'm being mean. <laughs> um, but I, I just, <clears throat> I just wanted to do it in like an aesthetically pleasing way. Someone had sent me a box of scraps. And this is like before panty, which was a thing I didn't, I just played around with them and made myself a really cool pair to play around on my new serger at home. And I was like, huh, this is cool. Posted a picture on Instagram. And like, I was just a personal Instagram. So people just start sharing it. And I'm like, this is like, huh, interesting. And then I had a friend who jokingly called me panty, Witch, like a really good internet friend. I have never been able to find a company, you know, finding company names is like hard. You don't want it to be forced, mm-hmm. but it has to feel authentic. And you don't want it to be like, you want it to be memorable, but not like so generic that it's like, yeah, everyone, you know, mm-hmm. like it's got to be good. And that was just like, oh, that is funny and like cheeky and just, I don't know, I'm an Aquarius, so I have to be <laughs> different and fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That just, yeah, I was like, I can, I I can do this. Like, this is, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just, the panties found me, Amanda. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they did. I, I love this whole story. And cl- I mean, it's, you know, I have talked about this in the podcast in the past, but, you know, in like 2020, a record number of people filed to start their own small businesses. Yeah. 2021, even more. Let's and keep them coming, baby. 2022. Let's go for it. Right? I yeah. love it. And this is all like it is 100% a direct result of the pandemic. You know, and I've read yeah. tons of articles about this. Like some people, you know, they're like, life's too short. My job is stupid. Well, I want to live like, my life. Fuck big companies who don't care about like shit. Like everything I do. I don't do because I'm like, oh, people will like it if I use scraps. I'm like, I'm literally not going to use scraps because you know how much garbage there is. And just like, these are going to get thrown away. And I just, I, I have all this ego anxiety. I'm like, let's put it into something. Mm-hmm. And then H&M is out here being like, oh, guys, um, yeah, we really see that you care about um, green stuff. And we're doing this one thing. And um, yeah, when it's like, oh, you care about that. So why don't you like change your whole like system and also just like not be a company anymore because you've done enough damage. Okay. So can I tell you a funny story about H&M? Yes, please. Um, well, it's like an internet story. So I, someone this, you know, like I don't use Twitter very often cause I really just don't, I feel like yeah. people just go there. I mean, there are some people like Aja Barbara, I follow her on there and all of her tweets are fire. 
It's angry people, I would just say in general. Yeah. But most of the time, it's just angry people, and I just, like, don't need it in my life. But, like, I follow, like, five people or something, and so someone – I don't know. Sometimes it just sends me push notifications of a tweet that they think I might like. Oh, no. And someone tweeted – I don't know who it was, but it was a screenshot of LinkedIn – you know, we don't talk enough about LinkedIn enough around here, clearly. Um, I don't really think of that being where the fire content is going to be. But H&M just had some, like, very generic corporate post about some, like, so-called, like, miracle, like, green sweater collection they were working on. Which, you sure, know, is Jan. All, like, yeah. It's mm-hmm. all bullshit, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So someone who's an actual, legit, world-renowned expert in sustainability, particularly when it comes to yarn. Mm-hmm comments like back a paragraph about how this isn't a sustainable item and this is why Mm -hmm. all very everything they said was right Mm -hmm. it gets it gets a reply that comment it's from h&m's social media manager and everybody who saw this knew this because it's like their little thumbnail of their picture their name and then you know their titles social media manager h&m their only response was the emoji that's yawning Anger. Anger is, is my it, emoji right now. <laughs> like, I still, I saw it and I immediately had to run and show it to Dustin, who, you know, laughed a little bit, but I was like, you don't get why this is so ridiculous. It's like, it's like the whole kind of Trump administration when you're like, I know this is real and it's almost funny, but the fact that it is real and it's happening is like, yeah. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. Anger. Uh, and uh, yeah. So I think a lot of us, like, during the pandemic are like, I'm fucking sick of it. We're going to take the bull by the horns. We're going to build a better world. Our lives are short. We're missing out on things we've dreamed of doing. We're just going to go for it. And then other people are like, hey, my shitty job laid me off during the pandemic, not because they were going to go out of business, but because they wanted to maintain profit margins. Mm -hmm. You know, fuck that. I'm starting my own business where things are better. And all of these reasons are amazing reasons to start a small business. So- I'm really excited to see how this all plays out. And I think so many of the stories that I hear from people who have started a business during the pandemic, I'll start with, I was messing around with this thing. I posted it on Instagram. People loved it. And now I have a business. Yeah. There's yeah. money in Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It. It's a great, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Um but it's really, it's really exciting to kind of be in this, uh, like new, new thing. I, I don't tell a lot of people here, like what I do. And even people I like know, like my great aunt knows what I do and she's like kind of confused. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not like, oh, I, you know, like do, uh, do this or like the, I was, um, getting coffee like a couple weeks ago and I go to the same coffee place that's really close to my house and I'm going through and, yeah, by now they like know my order. And so they were like chatting and they're like, Oh, you like headed to work. And I'm like, Oh, I work from home. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. Like, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I'm like a sewer, you know? And they're like, Oh, that's cool. And they're like, What do you sew? And I'm like, Oh, you know? And she's probably my age. I'm almost 26. So, you know, like young. And I'm like, Oh, I make like underwear out of upcycled materials. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know really know what to say to make it sound like not weird. 
Um, and she's like, oh, that's that's really cool. She's like, you like, you know, get stuff and like turn it into cool stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And then as I'm leaving, she's like, okay, well, like, have fun. Like, good luck with your little business. And I was like, yeah, thanks. This is so awkward. <laughs> I don't know. And then I'm like, like, I I, I don't know. I'm like, oh, it, I, like, it doesn't feel like a little business anymore. Not that I feel like I'm like a huge thing, which I never I never want, like, if I were ever, like, to be done doing this, we're done. Like, Panny, which is done. We're burying her. She's dead. This is never, like, moving past me. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe someone will, like, help me and work with me. I don't see that. But, like, who knows? But I don't want it to be a thing. Like, people always, like, hire people. Like, you could, like, make, you know, really, like, you could make this, like, a company. You could, like, open a store. And I'm like, I don't want that. Like, I'm not interested in that. Like, And that's okay. Yeah. You know? I just – I because I, I think that when too many people get involved and you lose touch with, like, the person that's doing the thing that actually matters, which is the making of the thing, mm-hmm. evil. Like, I'm not always, but, like, oftentimes – not everyone's compensated, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's too, it's too complicated. And I just like never want it to get to that point. Um, And it also feels so personal to me that I'm like, that's why when I had my little copycat thing, I, not that I didn't react. Okay. But I was like, I mean, I wish I would have just not done anything and just moved on, but it felt very like personal, like, I don't know. It felt like someone had like gone through my car and like, you know, or like ransacked my house, like kind of like a violation, which I need to get over. But I think that's why I had like such a reaction at first. And I wasn't able to just like be calm and concise about it, you know? Right. So what happened was like someone just completely copied your account, right? So kind I don't know. Um I am on Instagram too much. I say I'm working, but you know. (laughs) I I know this feeling way too well. Yeah. So I'm like browsing Instagram one day and I see, you know, sometimes they suggest accounts for you as you're like scrolling. And I see Mm -hmm. this one called Panty Fairy. And so I look at it. Wait, what? Yeah. Panty Fairy. And like, and also not like, just like, like, not just the name, but they like, I have a dot between the two, which it, again, none of these things in on their own are like, horrible offenses but all together it like anyway so she has a logo that's like white white background and then this kind of like drawing of almost kind of like a fairy-ish kind of thing but not exactly the same as mine but like similar enough at a glance and it's not like everyone who follows me is like that's Rita's logo and I know this like they follow someone that's panty something and it kind of like anyway so I look at this almost the exact same bio she did that thing where she changes the fonts which is cool i don't know how to do that but like cool i don't know how to do that either yeah i I don't know how to do that but yeah it almost a little bit annoys me because i'm like it's not my aesthetic but i was like whatever you know and like she doesn't have any pictures of panties she's made but she's like building up to it she's like i want to start this brand i want to make sustainable underwear and i'm gonna have a sliding scale of 70 to 120 wait that's weird that i know those numbers um and so she's like building up and she like, then she starts, she posts a picture of ones that she's made, which again, not to be shady. It's obvious she had not sewn underwear before. Like, you know, it, it's, like it's amazing when people sew, but just like I've sewn for like my entire life. And there's just, you can, you know, you know, by buying clothes, you can tell like different qualities of things. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, when someone knows how to use their machinery or anyway, 
again, not to be shady, really cool that she was trying to do something new. Um, right. But she, you know, and I'm like, I know that that fabric, like, I know where to buy that because I get ads for it. And, like, when I saw pictures of it, I'm like, I know that you're not using upcycled materials, which feels greenwashy. It's just, like, all these <sighs> little, like, red flags. And so she yeah. posts this giveaway where she makes these panties that are, I call them the panel panties. It's just when I have that kind of angled pan- panel in the middle, either someone prints on it or it's a print mm. or what, yes. you know. yeah. And I've never seen someone do it at that exact angle. Again, not that that on its own. Like she can, you know, there's no laws about copying in Mm -hmm. fashion, really. It's really true. Yes. Yeah. But she has same sliding scale, very similar panties, using similar wording when it's obvious that that's not like she's using the wording for the wording and not because it's the truth, Mm -hmm. I want to say. And so I see it and I'm like, whatever, it doesn't, it's early in the morning, you know, and I'm just kind of like not in that phase of like critical thinking. I'm just scrolling on Instagram, baby. And um, then people start sending me the account and say, hey, this person followed me and I saw it and I thought it was you. Realize it's not like just, you know, he- here you go. Like, you know, thank you. Um, and so I, you know, take account and I reach out to some other maker friends of mine um, on the internet. And I'm like, Hey, like other people that had similar situations happen. I'm like, Hey, you know, can I, can I have a moment of your time, please? And everyone was like, Whoa, that's cause I was like, I'm going crazy. I am not so spe- like, who am I? I do not own panties. Like it's, you know, I'm like having this whole thing in my head where I'm like, I'm crazy. I'm getting too self-obsessed. Like I really think this person, you know? And so, mm-hmm. And as I'm waiting for responses, I, you know, I'm just looking at her account. I see she's following a lot of people. I go to those things and I'm like, wait, that's weird. That's a friend from Canada that I've known for 20 or, you know, whatever years. This is a friend from high school. This is so creepy. Can I just tell you? Every single one of her 2000 followers is following me. I did not go through every 2000, but I crazily went through like every 10 and every single one of them followed me. Danny from Pickwickware messages me um, because we pals now and she's like this person has unfollowed me and followed me like several times in the last couple days like thought it was weird but you know like when you have a lot of instagram interaction it's really easy for like to miss these kind of things so i send this person a message and i'm like hey like hello our accounts are very similar like what do you think about this and they respond back six hours later probably a grueling six hours for them um and they're like, oh, my gosh, so funny. Just looked you up. Hadn't seen your account before. Cool to know there's people just like me out there. And at this point. I'm, I'm outraged. I, yeah. <laughs> at this point, I know that they've gone through and followed all my followers because I did that for my company. And Instagram stops you at a certain point because they think you're a bot. And right. they, like, limit your action if you're just, like, go in, like, trigger happy, you know, been there, done mm-hmm. that. Hi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. So I was, like. So I know that you followed my followers and not that like, again, I did that when I worked for a company, you go and find similar companies that are, you know, and you follow a bunch of people. This is social media marketing, you know, but it felt like if she had been like, I, you know, I saw your account and thought it was really cool and wanted to do something similar. Okay. We might have a little conversation about like inspiration versus copying, whatever. She just blocks me. She blocks (gasps) me. So I'm a little annoyed now. So I post on my close friends list, which I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done. But was just like, hey, have a situation. Like, don't know quite what to do. <sighs> yeah. So, you know, and so people leave some comments, very kind comments. Danny left one. Like, 
I saw no bullying. I did not see DMs that went to her, but she deletes them all. And this is day one, too. So she deletes, like, these, like, 20 comments. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, she has this giveaway open, so she's, like, revving up on the giveaway. I had messaged her on one of my other accounts because, you know, we all – we have accounts. Um, Yeah, we have accounts. Yeah, we have some Finstas. Um, And she blocks it all. And I'm just, like, like, one, kind of what was this lady thinking in the beginning, but also, like, you know – like, you've been called out and you know, and, like, what are you going to do next? Like, what – what is the steps forward? Um, and so I got really annoyed when she had, like, I woke up the next morning and all these beautiful comments being like, hey, it looks like you're, you know, it looks like you're not doing your own style here. It looks like you're using someone else's work. Like, it's really like, this is a great community, but we like need people to have like their own authentic selves, you right. know? Right. Right. Like there's yeah. space for everyone, but like not space for copycats. Absolutely. Deletes them all, blocks them all. So now I had, the, I woke up the next morning. I'm like, not this is war, but like, <laughs> I'm annoyed. So I post on my regular Instagram and I'm like, on my stories to everyone, not just like my close friend, maker friends. And I'm like, hey, I'm not associated with this account. This account has blocked me. And there's kind of like too many similarities for comfort. And I also have realized that they like have definitely seen my page. And I don't want to say this to be like, they seen my page. Like, but it just, it's obvious that they saw one of my posts. And I was even able to see like when they had set up the account, what changed. Like they set up the account in February and it was some, they hadn't used it, but it was like some lifestyle thing. And then November 21st, they change it to a fitness like candle. And then November 21st, again, they change it to Panty Fairy. And then again, they changed the spelling of Panty Fairy to be like mine, like with the dot. And so this is so weird. And so they're like, oh, my gosh, this chick is making a bunch of money. They weren't paying reparations. The only part of my bio they didn't copy, unfortunately, was the good part of paying reparations. And, you know, and so it's like I'm not mad that they use that sliding scale because, again, I calculated that, you know, with my like they can Mm -hmm. totally get paid what I get paid. That's awesome. But it just it was too it was too many copying things. And then. Yeah, I don't know. And again, I wish I wouldn't have like called anyone out. I wish I would have just taken my inspiration from it and blocked her and moved on. And if anyone asks, I'm like, I'm not associated with that Instagram. You know, that's that's her own thing. Um, so is this person still around? This person, fine. So, okay, kind of creepy. Um, so after the day, you know, she, she she has to block hundreds of people this day, Amanda. So many comments deleted. Uh, it is a stressful day for her. Yeah. And someone finds her personal Facebook page, her personal Instagram, which I had found before in kind of the first – I hadn't said that. I had found her first, her personal Instagram and realized she was following me. And this is when I was like – and then I was like, wait, she followed my followers. But I didn't screenshot anything and I forgot her Instagram, her like – personal account you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they find they find her partner's instagram which i'm like creepy but also i go to my to my troll account not a troll account my ethical my like ethical trolling account that i use <laughs> but i i message her and i'm like hey this is panty witch like i would love to have a conversation artist to artist i'm sure it's been a really stressful day for you i get a message back um and the message, they're all enraging because she's like, it's kind of like one step forward, two step back. So like, yeah, I had seen your page. And she said, I've never been bullied before, but today was horrible. First bullying experience, which I was like, girl, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have been bullied a bit in my life. So I was like, wow. Okay. Well, welcome to the club. This wasn't really bullying, but okay. Like, sure, you can join us. Um, (laughs) But she was like, I've been sewing underwear for a long time, which. I don't care if it's true, but I don't think it is based on based on the quality. But she's like, I just saw your Instagram and was inspired. I'm inspired by so many artists on here. I never meant to like personally hurt you. Not that I was necessarily personally hurt, but my feelings were. Um, I mean, this and, is a little egregious as an outside yeah. party here. You know, like and, yeah, she too sends much. she sends me this message back, and I'm like, oh, and you know, I like. I really like like she is a person. We've all made mistakes in our life. I have made many mistakes in my life. Um, and but I, you know, I messaged her and I'm like, you know, thank you for your apology. I I wanted to use quote unquote, but like whatever. Thank you for what you thought was an apology. Um, I would appreciate it if you would change your logo and your handle. You know, like I don't know. I can't force anyone to do anything, but I'm like, at this point, I feel like this is like the bare minimum that you can do. Also, mm-hmm. I don't know how she thought she was going to move on from this after because she had like a giveaway and she had like 10 giveaway entries. And at one point, like 40 other comments that were just people being like, yo, not cool. Like, don't copy, you know, mm-hmm. um, that she eventually deleted all. And so she's like, so I'm like, I would appreciate it if you change your handle and your, you know, your little picture logo thing. And she's like, I'll consider it. I was like, okay, well, I will consider. What? I will consider not talking about this on my own personal in- on my person on this Instagram, which I know oh, sounds petty, yeah. but I'm just like, are you kidding me? And so she's like, will you make the bullying stop? And I was just like, oh, I'm reeling the fact that she thinks this is bullying. Not, I'm sure it wasn't fun, and I'm really sorry to her if there was anything that was like super mean. Like everything I saw was, I feel like okay in the context of what was happening. You know, like caring people just being like hey don't copy find your own artistic voice like there were some really like sweet comments actually um i have some of them that people sent to me because i was blocked and i was like oh this is now i have a little folder of things to read back of like times people are being like this is a really cool person i don't know anyway i won't go into that but um she's like will you make the bullying stop and i was like well like yes, I will, like, no one will comment on your thing. Like, I will tell people to stop commenting if you just change it. And so, finally, she changes it. Um, And, yeah, it just, I I wish I would have just seen her message, known she was lying, been like, cool, I'm going to do Panty Fairy better than you could have ever fucking dreamed, and just, like, <laughs> moved on. You know, because she would have seen my posts, because lately I've been like, Panty Fairy, actually, it worked out great. It's, like, almost not a blessing, but, like, I wanted to do a really fun, colorful collection, and it just feels like it was, like, meant to be, honestly, with the fabrics I had. Anyway, mm-hmm. I won't nerd out about it too much. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it. I wish – and, you know, she would have seen my posts, and I know that would have – like, I feel bad that she feels bullied because I, like, care about people's feelings. Right. And it's like I, I – feel sympathetic yeah. for it too. I mean, yeah, you I and I, you know, and she, yeah. she was like, I'm home during the pandemic. I, you know, needed to make income. And like, I would love another, if she would have come to me and been like, yo, what I see you're doing is cool. I would like to do something similar. Have any pointers. I'm really friendly, Amanda. Like, oh my gosh. Like I, I've like, I'd really would have loved a new friend, but like this didn't feel, 
did not feel good. Um, but yeah, seeing those, if she would have seen me doing a pan, like I had people like design me stickers that are like all now around Panty Fairy, like we are going balls to the walls. She would have <laughs> seen that. And that would have been like the best, worst feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I would have had to be the bad guy. Like she would have known that I knew what she was doing and that I didn't feel like it was okay. And like, I don't know, you know, I think, I honestly think that may have maybe would have like pushed her in her like a more authentic direction because she can make upcycled panties. Like come join my club. You know, I can right. make panties for everyone. I don't want to when I can't make things at people's price points or, you know, people want me to make boxers. I don't make them. I only make them for my husband because I love him so much. I do not want to make them for strangers because, you make a pair and you tell me why I don't want to make them. Um, anyway, you <laughs> I know. have ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's just, I, there, I will go into it, but it's just, I don't, I don't like the process of making them. Um, and I'll tell people like, oh, there's other great companies that either, you know, are small makers and make that, or they're also upcyclers. Like I have a list I will give you. Um, sometimes people will get really mad at me because they're like, I wanted it from you and you don't want to like, like people feel like I'm being like anti-trans because I won't make boxers. And like, so people feel like they can't wear my artwork, but they want to support me, which I'm like, so sorry, people. I just do not want to make boxers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I have the pattern for my husband. I do not want to grade it for everyone. I love you guys so much. I, I don't like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. If you want to go make upcycled boxers and do that, awesome. Cool. I will be a supporter of you. Like I'll shout you out. Like I will tell people about you when they want things, but like, I don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, Totally. I get that. I mean, it's your prerogative, you know? Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting, like the approach of the copycat, just sort of like ignoring them and, you know, doing your own thing even bigger and better and they're figuring it out because I guarantee someone is listening to this conversation and has had a similar experience because I feel like this is happening a lot. Your situation is really egregious where they're copying the bio on Instagram and following all the followers. And like people were thinking it was me. Actually, I will talk about a situation that I learned a lot from one of the things that I feel like I have messed up at this time. Talking, like, let's go back to, like, trying to find things on the internet or, like, find your niche. Mm -hmm. In 2018, I got on the whole beaded earrings craze. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Followed a lot of really cool people that made beaded earrings and was really inspired by those people and would make their patterns in different colors. And at one point, I was like, I could sell these on Instagram and tried it. And the person who I had copied, and I didn't like, I genuinely didn't think about, oh my gosh, I'm copying someone and trying to make money. I was just like making these fun earrings. Like I'm a quilter. And so like quilts are often just copied and you see a pattern and you're like, I know how to do that. And you do it in different colors. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, it's just kind of more of an accepted thing, I think, in that community. But it's not in some communities, which is totally fair. And so this person reached out to me and was like, hey, I see that you're copying my designs. This doesn't feel good. I would really urge you to, like, find your own, like, style or, like, something that's, like, for you. And, like, oh, my gosh. I, like, deleted all of the things, never to talk about it again. You know, like, felt really bad and was like, oh, my God, how did I not think this was copying? And so that's where I wanted to give this woman the benefit of the doubt of maybe she thought she saw the idea and she was going to do it differently. And in her mind, this was different enough. Right. Um, 
I don't really know how she got to that with all of the things, but like, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. We all mess up in life. But um, that was a really big learning experience for me. Um, And yeah, like I, I have been there. I have done that. I think the difference is, is that when I was called out, I apologized and like deleted things immediately. And yeah. So shame story. There you go. (laughs) Well, I, honestly, I think it's amazing to hear you tell that story. And I think that's something else that people need to hear too, because I mean, coming from like a big corporate background in fashion, where all we did was copy people like all day, every day. And we were like, basically forced to by our managers just go on instagram guys yeah yeah it and it it always felt so dirty and terrible i think you know like the company i worked for would always be really angry when someone Mm -hmm. came forward and said you copied me like would be like who do they think they are like they don't even matter like basically and like they're ruining everything and it's like another problem i have to deal with and i was kind of like why don't we just take a step back and realize that like they're just trying to get by these are people's like lives. Yeah. <laughs> these are people and you wouldn't be feeling stressed out about having to deal with this if you hadn't done it in the first place. Well, and honestly too, like if this ever happens with like a big corporation, like I will, I will blast. Like, I don't care. Um, I do want to enforce people to be like kind because there are like humans behind every screen. Like mm-hmm. there's no robot that answers DMS, but like, not cool. But I think that if this were ever to happen again, which at this point now that I've kind of like moved back from it, I'm a little flattered. Some people were like, take it as a compliment. And I was like, fuck you. But um, <laughs> I mean, you know, in the moment. <laughs> it's, it's a hard one. Yes, it is definitely yeah. a compliment. But it's also like, this is your thing. This is you. And you, yeah, you know, it, yeah, I'm like selling my, no, I'm not selling my soul to do this, but it just, it feels like I'm not just like building this little brand and like, what do I want my aesthetic to be? Like, this is who I've been my entire life. And I'm just like coming into my own and like sharing it with people and doing something that like makes me happy. And I'm so privileged to do this. Um, but yeah, it, it felt really, it felt like someone had come into my studio and rifled through my things. And even if they didn't take anything from me, it was like, what were you doing in here, bud? Like, I would have welcomed you in if you would have asked. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the thing that makes me sad about this whole thing is that we actually have this amazing community of people who want mm-hmm. to help other people start their own businesses, be sustainable. When she got back to me, she's like, I thought the sewing community on Instagram was going to be nice and I was wrong. And I'm like, well, it is when you're nice. I don't, you know, and I hope that she's able to rejoin at some point. Like, you know, like I'm someone who I had a lot of shame and was like, I'm never going to sell anything online. Oh my God, I'm a horrible person, blah, 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 all these, you know, this whole thing. And obviously we've moved past that a little bit and mm-hmm. I have found my own thing and it feels genuine and I don't feel like anything I do. I'm like, oh no, am I copying someone? Like, you know, like it feels, it feels really authentic to who I am. And I, I hope that she finds that in her life. Um because when I found her personal Instagram, she's a really cool gal. She drove like a lime green Volkswagen bus. I grew up in a Volkswagen bus. Like we're in the club. That's really cool. Like create a brand around yourself because yeah, it just, it doesn't work when you try to like, when the goal of the thing is to copy something, it just, it's inauthentic, you know? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and ultimately 
you're going to be unhappy because you're not doing right things that are from you. You're doing things from someone else. Yeah, like it's and it's sad to me too because it's like I have so many ideas in my brain that I will never be able to get out because I just don't have the energy, all the resources, all of the time. Like I am one person. And it seems like you're la- like you feel like you're lacking in creativity, and that's like I don't want to say sad. Like I get it, but also like find that inspiration. Like go out into the woods, you know. Go listen to some cool music. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I just think you know having your own business is really stressful. You work really hard. You deal with a lot of bullshit. People are mean to you on the internet. Yeah. Uh, it's only. It, it's your passion for doing this mm-hmm. thing that is so important to you that you have so much emotion and thought and innovation, you know, kind of like invested in that makes it worthwhile. And I've invested so many hours that I didn't know if I'd ever see any payback on that. And I'm glad I did. But at the same time, like that was such a big like emotional investment, you know? Absolutely. And so you're not going to have that same sort of investment if you just took someone else's entire business, even their Instagram bio, and yeah. ran with it. Like, it's just never, you're never going to have that same relationship that makes yeah. all those hard times more bearable. And it's like a journey, too. It's not like I, like, popped on Instagram and, like, wrote out this thing. Like, we have come a long way. We have learned so much. You know, people are like, you're an Instagram whiz. And I'm like, I'm definitely not. I'm an idiot with a phone. <laughs> but, like you know, to, you know, it like it, it's like my hard work is kind of, it's starting to like pay off and maybe like show a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's like, just go, just go on that journey. You know, it's like the people that go on hikes just to get the Instagram picture at the top versus the uh, people that go on hikes to like go and be outside and like get away and go like do something with a friend or go see that lake or, you, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Why are you go- why are you doing this? Um, well, it just makes the hike twice as hard. Yeah, you know? making the picture that like can we go back now and it's like um there's a gorgeous lake behind you that if you walk another mile you can swim in the best lake of your entire life you know like lake of dreams and nope just get that yeah. picture and go back to your car and get back to civilization asap yeah yeah no I agree I mean I think that's a great metaphor and I think. It's a really profound argument against copying someone else's idea because maybe in the let's say Panty Fairy initially was very successful. Uh, eventually, she was going to hit a wall where she was just like, "Why am I sewing panties all the time?" I didn't even invent have I hit that wall yet. <laughs> well, no, but for people who are like. Yeah. Not into it in the same way. Like when it doesn't mm-hmm. belong to you from the beginning. When Because I'm sure for you, you're constantly – like you've been on this journey with the products you create mm-hmm. where, you know, you think back to the very first one you make you made. And I guarantee there are all these like innovations and changes. Oh, I have them. I wear them. I've altered them a little bit. And I'm like, wow, this doesn't always feel and fit. They're like one of the last pair of underwear I wear in my underwear drawer, you know. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow. Like we've come and then I pop, you know, a new pair on and I'm like, oh, yeah, here we are. If you are like, I'm just going to go out and s- basically steal someone's entire business model, product, identity, right? Yeah. 
you're never, you didn't have that journey. So first off, your product isn't going to be as good. No. Sorry. And the the selling point, I'm like, I mean, I know my underwear are expensive. I have industrial machinery. I've been doing this my entire life. You know, I'm not the best at everything. I can always get better, but it's like, it, you know, yeah. I know, like, there's a way to sew a pair of underwear, and she did not know that way, and I would have loved to show her that way, but, you know. I know, and then she could take that She was also using another small maker's free underwear pattern and making it look like she was using a vintage pattern, but, like, I had some – man, people are, like, internet sleuths. I was impressed yet scared (laughs) from this experience. Yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, I I just feel like – she was setting herself up for failure, even if she didn't realize it, but eventually she was going to figure it out. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for her. I don't think that what she did is okay. Me too. I hope that she's doing okay. I like, she had a lot of hopes and dreams for 2022. I hope she was able to like re-harness that like drive and like go in her own direction. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually sent her a message after she deleted her account and was like, Hey, if you ever want to model for me, like, let me know. She never responded. I, and I told her, I was like, I understand if this is just not something you're interested in. And I wouldn't tell people and be like, this is that person. But I'm like, you have a really cool vibe. I want some pictures of underwear in front of a Volkswagen bus. Like, you know, like, please. I don't think that she'll ever reach out to me. Um, And I was like, am I dumb and ridiculous for even sending that to her? I don't know. I was just, you know, like, Hey, this could be a really cool, like, full circle thing that we do. I wouldn't say who it is, and if anyone figured it out, I would, I would block them. <laughs> like, like we're not, we're not bullies right. on here. Yeah, like we, you know, we all are learning. I've done shitty things in my life. I'm sure everyone has done things that they, they feel deeply shameful about, and we're not about that. One of the most challenging categories of clothing in terms of sustainable options is athletic wear. Yet you you can't go out there and work out in a pair of jeans or you don't want to go for a hike or a long bike ride in a dress. Although, yes, I've done both of those. I have many regrets about it. Don't be like me. Wear athletic wear to do these things. Active wear isn't a nice to have. It's a need to have. And shopping for it can be so difficult, especially if you're a sustainability-minded, secondhand first kind of person, which I know you are. There should be a more affordable and sustainable way to purchase premium athletic wear. Well, guess what? I found one, and it's Revive Athletics. Revive Athletics believes clothing should make you feel good when you move, and that starts with how you purchase it. Shopping secondhand is the most sustainable way to shop, and Revive Athletics is committed to providing high-quality, premium athletic wear so you can feel good when you shop and you can feel even better when you move. Everything Revive Athletics sells is very gently used, and they carry a wide variety of sizes from extra small to 5X, and they offer all of the premium brands you've been scoping out, like Lululemon, Nike, Athleta, Girlfriend Collective, you name it. And while a pair of Lululemon leggings would cost you around $100 if you purchase them new, at Revive, you won't pay over $35 a pair. You're getting really excited right now, aren't you? 
Revive will also buy your gently used athletic wear and athleisure no matter where you are, and they'll send you a prepaid label to ship items into them. By keeping your gently used items in circulation, you're helping to reduce their carbon footprint. And that, that my friends, is the hashtag secondhand first lifestyle right there. All items are carefully inspected and cleaned with Defunkify, an eco-friendly detergent made in Oregon. And I know you were wondering about that. Are you glad I told you? Revive Athletics is committed to building and supporting community. They offer classes in their space in Portland, Oregon, and they also donate items to Rose Haven, a Portland day shelter and community center serving women, children, and gender diverse people experiencing the trauma of abuse, loss of home, and other disruptive life challenges. What an incredible place to shop. I mean, I know you're sold now. You're like, tell me more, Amanda. How can I shop Revive Athletics. Well, if you're in one of my favorite cities, my former home, the place I think of as my hometown, Portland, Oregon, you can shop in person at their store or you can go online at reviveathletics.com no matter where you live. And even better, I have a special offer exclusively from members of the Close Horse community. Use promo code REVIVEIT15 to get 15% off your first purchase. And don't worry, I will include that in the show notes so you don't have to run and grab a pencil right now. The next time someone asks you where you got your athletic wear, you can tell them, thanks, it's revived. And know that you made the best decision and saved a heck of a lot of money too. Once again, that's reviveathletics.com. You can also find them on Instagram at revive underscore athletics. Go check it out. I think you're going to love what you see. Thank you so much, Rita. I had such a good time. And guess what? It's not over because she'll be back next week for the second half of our conversation. And it's it's going to be great. In the meantime, you can find her on Instagram as panty.witch. She's working on some really beautiful stuff right now. So go check it out. Now's the time as we're, you know, we're rolling down the home stretch here. Is that even a saying? I don't think it is. But here we are. About this time, I give you an exciting pep talk. But the truth is, I am really tired. I'm recording this late Friday night after a really long week. Sometimes the batteries just run a little low. And furthermore, Hutch and Brenda have been taking turns crumpling this paper bag under my desk. So recording has taken like three times as long. But I will say that... I'm super grateful that you spent this time with me, that you continue to spend this time with me. And I love so much hearing from all of you. I received a few really thoughtful, kind messages this week from listeners about the impact Close Horse has had on their habits, their businesses, their way of thinking, so many things. And you know what? There is no adjective, trust me. I rewrote this portion 10 times trying to find the right adjective. Nothing seemed right. Nothing was powerful enough. There's no adjective that can fully capture how that makes me feel. It's weird. It's a very weird undertaking to talk into a microphone week after week and wonder if ever anyone hears it. If it means anything to anyone. 
that's what making a podcast, especially an independent one like this, feels like. It's sort of like a risk I take every week that maybe I'm just wasting my time. And it's it's so gratifying. Uh, see, that's not the right adjective either. It's so something, something good to know that, yes, this work, which feels important to me, but could just be some outlet for narcissism I didn't know I had, that this work is actually important and impactful to others. So thank you for being there, for spending so much time with me. I see some of you posting on Instagram that you've literally listened to every episode. That's like we went on like a month-long vacation together and we were together every minute and stayed up all night talking every night. In fact, that's still probably not enough hours that you've spent with me, right? You know, you probably didn't know this, but you've been keeping me going when it feels harder than usual, like late on a Friday night when cats won't stop crumpling bags and you just want to finish recording. I thought I was on this journey alone, but it turns out you're all here with me too. And that, that is the most magical thing that's ever happened to me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Written, researched, edited, hosted, and all the other things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I've also heard that you can leave reviews on Spotify now too. If you hate the podcast, I would just say stop listening and skip the review. We don't need it. It's cool. Just go get that time back for yourself. <laughs> if you would like to support my work here on Close Horse, please learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. And thanks, as always, to my other half, someone who never, at least not yet, crumples a paper bag under my desk, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. Bye.